0: Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. Callan FM Callen FM
1: It's Thursday the 22nd of March and it's the stage in the show where we like to start off with a topical discussion and this week we're talking about something that I had never come across before but one of the great things about working with Tracy is that she delves into the world of business and unearths these things that it's like <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. So we're looking at the UK list of super brands, uh, which is something that has completely passed me by for years. I'm I'm disappointed to say, and embarrassed to say, because it started in 1995. And essentially, it was published by the independent newspaper. And it looks at the top consumer brands uh, as voted by members of the public. So it does two lists. It does business to consumer, and then it... uh, Sorry, it does the consumer's version of the the best businesses. And then they ask the business community the same thing. And the lists actually throw out different results. Uh, it's, it's a list that contains most of the businesses that you might expect. But ranking at number one on the consumer list is Lego. Now, this is a UK list, and I'm quite surprised by some of the businesses that are on it. So these are business brands, uh, and I I sort of took took a look down the uh, the list. And this year, British Airways drops out of the list completely, uh, which is just surprising. Uh, but I was looking at Marks and Spencers, which sits at number seven. I was looking at Cadbury's, that sits at eleven. John Lewis that sits at 15, and Kleenex, which fits, sits at 18. Now, these are great British brands, um, but they're being over—they've been overtaken by some massive Lego, Gillette, Apple, Coca-Cola, Disney, uh, and yet this is a UK list. So, I just found that a bit surprising. What? What do you take from it, Tracy?
0: well I, I was interested to know how they actually judged it mm. um because it it's although the brands are chosen by quite a small number it's uh, 2500 members of the public but i suppose when they've chosen those people um using statistical techniques then it becomes statistically relevant so that's okay um But I think it's the judging, um, the the sort of the factors that are used to judge it. So um, apparently the definition of a super brand is that it's established the finest reputation in its field. It offers customers significant emotional and or tangible advantages over its competitors. And it's something that customers want and recognize. and there there are three factors that it's judged against quality. Does the brand provide quality products and services? reliability? can the brand be trusted to deliver consistently? and distinction is it well known in its sector and suitably different from its rivals? So when I look down the the top of the list, um, yeah, Lego, Gillette. I suppose it, you know, it's quite distinctive. I I don't mm. buy razor products, so no. I don't really know. It doesn't stand out. Apple, yeah, Andrex obviously. The puppies did it for Andrex, yes. didn't they? Yeah. Coca Cola, they're they're quality, reliable, distinctive. Marks and Spencers, I think that gets it on the quality and reliability. Boots, I don't know where Boots come comes into that. I'm not sure that they're distinct, suitably different from their rivals. But it's it's perception, isn't it? How yeah. it's perceived by the public. Um, well, well, so, uh, but then you, I think about okay, you draw a
1: comparator with Marks and Spencers, so then you've got Waitrose, for example. So, wait, yeah. you know Waitrose, okay, hasn't been in in the uh, what I'm trying to say hasn't been as widespread as Marks and Spencers has for as long. And then you look at Boots, and okay, who's the opposite super drug? Yeah, okay, I can see that. Uh, Boots is a leading brand; it's a British brand, but. I don't know. there are conflicting messages to me for this from this list.
0: so then maybe it would help if you if you took a look at the business one. So this okay. is exactly the same idea. Two and a half thousand individual business professionals are asked about this now. so and and this surprised me at how different it was from asking members of the public. And I think the only one that's way up there in the in the top ten that's exactly the same is is Apple. So Apple's number one on the business superbrands list, and it's number three on the consumer superbrands list. But we've got companies on here which I, I have me scratching my head. BP, okay, uh, Microsoft, yeah, so British Airways are on there for business, so okay. maybe Emirates. Now, I know they do a really good business class uh, oh, flight. Oh, my yes. goodness, yes. Um, Google, PayPal. So maybe, you know, businesses use the PayPal service. So, you know, mm. they, they can see that. Shell, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, uh, London Stock Exchange Group, Virgin Atlantic, IBM, JCB, Samsung, GlaxoSmithKline, Bosch, barclay card and intel so yeah i I suppose i can see these are coming from the point of view that they're Mm -hmm. used the same judging criteria are used so quality reliability and distinction so it's an interesting concept and i think if i worked for one of those businesses and particularly if i was a um a a brand expert then I'd be very pleased to be on this list um, but I think uh, one of the notable things about Lego being top of the list it was only in 25th spot in 2014.
1: So what so and that's four years so what's happening with Lego in it it's surprising isn't it? in an age when yeah. everybody says that kids are just sitting looking at iPads. Lego is featuring now. Okay, there's the Lego movie and all of these poseable um,
0: characters, etc. But maybe it will shed some light on this. Oh, one. gets excited, can bring in some stuff she's learned at college. Okay, time. Um, we're looking at um, the innovation in Lego, and and they they spend a, a lot of time looking at bringing the adult fans of Lego into the development of Lego products. Okay, so not not just seeing them it's not as a kid, It's not just a toy adult fans of Lego and there is an innovation portal that Lego run where these adult fans of Lego can go in there's a community they can share ideas they can create things in there so I, I wonder if that's part of it I really don't know uh, I'm very interested in I might might do a little bit more research around it but maybe we put it in the calendar to look in next year mm. and, and, and try and get a little bit of insight onto that um, but the other thing to note is is that brands are changing in in that British Airways uh, used to be um, in the the top twenty for mm. the consumers and it hasn't it's it's dropped out and one of the commentaries on this which I got from the Independent so there was an article uh, last week in the Independent. And and it talks about the rise of fresh, disruptive brands, particularly in terms of the relevance to consumers' lives. Things like Netflix, Purple Bricks and Zoopla. They're not up in the top 20 yet, but the thinking is that they're going to be the ones that start to push these more established brands down the rankings. So I think next year, put it in the diary. We'll talk Mm. about it in March next year, Mm, shall we? mm. You're listening to the business community on Callon FM. And if anything we're
1: talking about this afternoon has captured your imagination, then we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch with the station direct by phoning 01978 293 393. Or you could drop us an email to infocalonfm.com. Or why not tweet us at Callon FM? Callon FM.
0: Calon FM. Calon FM. Now, it's the time for um, news and events. And I thought I'd uh, nip in here with uh, a little press release that I found on the HMRC website, Heather. Um, The most optimistic expense claims. Would you like to hear the top ten? Go on. Um, Holiday flights to the Caribbean. Very nice. Mm. Luxury watches as Christmas gifts for staff for a company with no employees. (laughs) international flights for dental treatment ahead of business meetings okay pet food for a shih tzu guard dog (laughs) (laughs) armani jeans purchased as protective clothing for a painter and decorator cost of regular friday night bonding sessions okay (laughs) (laughs) underwear for personal use Okay. A garden shed for private use, plus the cost of the space it takes up in the garden, betting slips, and caravan rental for the Easter weekend. So, as you might expect, if you put those on your tax return, uh, they, they won't be considered betting tax deductible. Slips. Yes. Slips. No. So, it is almost uh, the time of year when we we say it's the end of the fiscal year. But what on earth are we talking about, Heather? Do you know what the fiscal year is? Well, the fiscal year is an Americanism,
1: isn't it? Don't we call it the financial year over here? And doesn't that feel a bit better?
0: (laughs) If you feel better <laughs> saying that, I've always called it the fiscal year, but if, if that makes me Americanized, no, 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 then it's yeah, okay. Yeah, OK, the financial year. Um, it's the time of year when you have to start thinking about your tax returns mm. if you're self-employed or if you indeed are employed and still have to fill in a tax return. And the financial year, fiscal year, whatever, uh, runs from the 6th of April to the following 5th of April. And it's a bit of a strange date. There's a bit of a historic reason to it. And I understand you've done a little bit of research into this, Heather.
1: Well, when I say research, I, I went on to Googled, Wikipedia yes, and found out. And it all goes back to 1582, apparently, um, when there was a change from the Julian ca- um, calendar to the Gregorian calendar. And essentially, the Julian calendar consisted of 11 months, which had 30 or 31 days, and the 28-day February, which we... we're we're kind of familiar with. Uh, But that meant that it was out of sync with the solar calendar. So they made an adjustment, um, which meant that there were 10 days between the calendar in Britain and the calendar in the rest of Europe. So that was a bit confusing, but it didn't really matter until 1752 when the difference had actually increased to 11 days. So they thought, okay, we better do something about this. So they changed to to the Gregorian calendar in that year. Um, Up until then, the tax year started on the twenty fifth of March, which was equally silly. Which was equally silly, but it was the old New Year's Day. Uh, But there was an an added complication uh, in that when they then started roll out out the year uh, eighteen, the year eighteen hundred was not a leap year. Um, in the new calendar, but was in the old calendar. So they moved again from the 5th of April to the 6th of April. So essentially, they added on some extra days to bring everything in line. And then lo and behold, they'd taken into consideration a leap year that didn't exist anymore. And so they had to make another change. Um, And to be perfectly honest, I don't think we should change it ever again because it's (laughs) fairly complicated.
0: (laughs) Well, um, I, I, I... I did a bit of research, but I went to a website owned by... Um, an accounting company called Handley Evans. So their website, handleyevans.co.uk. I'm just going to quote one line from from that whole page that I read all that on. And and they basically say, no government in the intervening years has had the common sense or courage to amend the fiscal year to a sensible date. And I think that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Yes, (laughs) and that proves why. What I've just rambled through um, proves why. Okay, so the tax year... Starts on the 6th of April, so the last one started on the 6th of April 2017 and will end on the 5th of April 2018. Uh, You will have a deadline of October to have registered for self-assessment if you're self-employed. Your paper tax returns, if you're going to still submit a paper tax return, will be due on the 31st of October. If you're submitting them online, you've got until the 31st of January 2019. Please don't leave it that long and um, you also have to, at that point, pay the tax you owe. So 31st of January 2019 for the tax year that will end on the 5th of April this year. So there are a number of important dates that you need to consider. Um, All of them we shall be mentioning as we go through the year, just to keep you uh, appraised. But yeah, the end of the current tax year is due 5th of April. And I think you can start submitting your tax returns as soon as you want. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> if don't you're delay that start organised, today. Why not do that?
1: One of the one of the most challenging things I mean it's slightly different now because I'm a sole trader but when I was employed in in the real world of work uh, measuring work in progress was really difficult. I worked um for an architectural practice and so we were having to look at all of the projects that were underway and some of them would be part completed and you invoice in stages um, for architectural services but there might be a part of a stage that you'd worked on that hadn't yet been invoiced um, I used to find that the hardest thing is to to draw a line and think about where work in progress is from your
0: experience and knowledge, is there any easy way of doing that? Because well, I used to go I grey. Sat, I was just sat here thinking, I'm glad I've never done the accounts for an accountancy practice. Uh, um, architectural yeah, so practice, yeah. Ar- not accountancy, yeah, yeah. architectural. Yeah, no, no, there isn't really. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so if, you, if, if you're if you scratching your it's head. the answer you were looking for? <laughs>
0: yeah. I think every, every business has got its own... Um, its own individual quirks about how you value stock or work mm, in progress that mm. this, that and the other. I'm sure there will be best practice in the industry. Mm. So if you're unsure, why not go and find somebody who's in the industry and, and is already doing it or find your industry body and, or, or seek professional advice mm. from an accountant? Mm. I've got a couple of
1: events for you this week. Uh, I was looking at Business Wales events and came across uh, one that is being run at a lot of different venues in and around the local area. Uh, It's called Adding Value to a Competitive Tendering Process. Uh, And, you know, many tenders now... you know, very complex and very detailed. And and it's blooming hard work uh, to demonstrate sustainability, equality and diversity, uh, which are a lot of the things that they're actually looking for. It's not just about capability and skill set. So this is being run. It's a free event and it's being run uh, on the 27th of March at Conway Business Centre up at uh, Clandidno Junction. It's also... um, supported by an introduction to tendering workshop that is running on the 4th of April at Gladstone's library uh, and also at the Time Management Centre in Bangor. So if you're thinking about tendering for work, either one of those would be a really good starting point because I think it you know, it just starts to help you understand what on earth it is that you're trying to achieve and what people are looking for when they're reviewing submitted tenders and then the other event that's um that's running and this again this is running in various locations but i have looked at one for april the 5th uh, that's running in kidderminster and it's run by the department of international trade uh it's a drop-in clinic and it is about exporting and the reason i was interested in this is because i was at a networking meeting myself last week and somebody mentioned that they they export to Dubai they do a lot in Dubai uh, and they are designers graphic designers so they do a lot of printed material websites etc and they mentioned oh actually Heather you know the services that you offer uh, would be in huge demand in Dubai and I'm thinking well I'm just a little sole trader I wouldn't even consider that and then as I went home and started thinking about my big plans I thought well why wouldn't I why couldn't I uh, particularly now that I've seen the um, the business class pod in the Emirates uh, aircraft that that are, are now available. So this event is talking about if you're considering exporting or if you've never really considered it and just want to get your head around what it might actually mean. It talks about why you would why you would export. Uh, it it talks about you know. What, um, what's required? Uh, how onerous a task it is? Where you might suss out um, potential markets? Uh, and again, this is a free event, uh, and there are some one-to-one uh, support forty-minute uh, slots so that you can actually get some fairly specific information relevant to your business. So, I just thought that that. That looked like a, a really, a really interesting one. So we'll put details of both of these on our
0: uh, website, which is thebusiness.community. This is the part of the show where we review a book or an app, or actually we're going to do both in this one. Um, so the book we've chosen this week is um, Do It Tomorrow and Other Secrets of Time Management by Mark Forster. And it's a book that both me and Heather have got. We're actually holding them in our little mitts here right now with actually this is a bit spooky the same colored post-it notes sticking out of them so I've got the sort of the neon yellowy greeny color post-it notes sticking out with the things that stood out for me I've had this book for quite a number of years probably since um not long after it was published um which was I think uh, early 2000s 2006 and it's a it's a cracking little book for for particularly people like me who've got their fingers in lots of pies, lots of projects going on and an inbox and this inability to not look at my emails when they pop up on my phone. And having reread parts of it again for this show, it's actually made me think, actually, I'm going to read the whole thing again because some of the learning that I had from when I read it the first time, I've slipped back and I think that's a really important learning point. I made a lot of changes when I first read this about how to utilise, um, so it's not time management, he doesn't call it time management, but how to utilise some of the, the um, techniques he talks about in the book to actually be more effective and how to get more things done by putting some things off and and reorganizing and he's very strong on getting systems in place Mm. for dealing with the routine stuff and i think that's what i let slide i I sometimes let new and exciting i I get distracted by new and exciting projects and i go oh yeah yeah and i'll go off down that tangent and off down that tangent so um a couple of the things that um i i picked up from it um are um his, his quick start list which i think is is really useful uh Four points on a quick start guide right at the front of the book. Um, One, put all the work that you are behind on in backlog folders and put it where you can't see it. That, for me, was life changing. At the point that I did this, I'd been self-employed for a little while. And, of course, my desk had piles of stuff from different places, most of which I probably wouldn't look at again. If I'm honest. And so I did this. I, I put them in a drawer, didn't look at it, didn't bother me. If I needed it, it was in the drawer, um, but it enabled me to move on. Point two collect all your incoming work during the day and deal with it in one batch the following day. I think that's one of those things that I. I Immediately feel a little bit queasy in my tummy (laughs) thinking about. I know I must have done it at some point, but I need to revisit that. Um, And he talks about grouping together similar activities like email, dealing with paperwork, phone calls and tasks. Um, The third one is if anything is too urgent to leave to the following day, write it down on a separate list and action it at a convenient time during the day. Never take even the simplest action without writing it down first. And four, spend some time on clearing the contents of the backlog folder first thing every day. And when you've finally cleared them, find something else you want to get started and start doing that first thing every day instead. So... That, the book tells you a lot more about that. But I think those uh, first four steps, actually, you could extrapolate some of that yourself right away to make a big difference. What did you take from it, Heather? Well, the Quick Start Guide is
1: great. What I love about the Quick Start Guide is that I'm the sort of person that I like instant gratification. So you open the book and straight away it's it's telling you what to do. You haven't got to read 900 pages before you can find out something that's really useful. So I think that in itself is is, live, is walking the talk. It's demonstrating that you can... Um you can make an, an impact straight away. But he talks about the principles and, I, and there's one in particular that I've honed in on. He talks about having a clear vision, one thing at a time, little and often limits, closed lists, and we'll talk about lists a bit more. But then he talks about reduce randomness. Now, when I work with people on their time management and how to get themselves a little bit organised, one of the big things that crops up is people talking about interruptions you know what's what's the what's the thing that uses up most of your time and they'll say oh yeah it's interruptions if I could stop the interruptions life would be life would be so much easier Uh, and he spends a lot of time talking about how how you determine what is an interruption and how you deal with those interruptions so if you've prioritized um your you can then judge whether or, so, or not something is more important or less important. And on each of the sections, what he does is he talks about the theory behind it. And then he asks you to test yourself. And so he starts to ask questions like, you know, if the phone rings uh, in this setting, you know, is that is that? a legitimate interruption? Is it something that could be dealt with now and forgotten? Or is it something that can wait? And he really gets you to think about if this happens, what does that mean? And you start to go, oh, yeah, actually, I could do it that way. I could back that back. I could put that to one side. So that's that's the stuff that that I found really useful is is getting rid of those random interruptions, because
0: they're the things that eat up time without you even realising it. And then a section in the book, um, this chapter is called um, Will Do versus To Do. And uh, this link quite nicely with an app that I've been reviewing, uh, Microsoft To Do. Um, and, and it's about organising all the different projects. So I, at, um, at work, I've got a number of different hats and I wear a number of different projects. So I've got a number of different to do lists in Microsoft To Do. But one of the features that is really useful is there is a My Day list and so you can review your um, to-do list and pull out the things that you need to do on that day and Mark Forster describes that as being the difference between a will-do list and a to-do list. So a a to-do list is an open list which you can have open for lots of different projects and that you can keep adding Items to it, which is like the project list that I've got running in Microsoft to do. And the will do list is just like the my day list. It's a closed list. It's only the things that you will do and aim to complete in that day. And you can't add anything else to it once you've made that list. And, and Microsoft to do app works really, really well with this. So I, I thought it was quite interesting when I reread the book that that's actually by accident something that I've implemented again like I say, a few years ago when I first read this book, I no doubt did implement a, a to-do list and a will-do list. But actually with Microsoft to-do app, I'm, I'm finding that that's working really well for me. So fingers crossed on that front. Mm, I'll keep mm, you updated. Mm. So that book is Do It Tomorrow by Mark Forster. One
1: final thing that I found when I read this book, I learned something huge about myself, which is that I need a deadline. And so if, if I'm talking about something and I say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that, I ain't going to look at it. Whereas if we agree that I'm going to do it by next Thursday, at 11 o'clock, well, OK, then I'm committed to that. And he talks very much about it, it's, it's that weighing up what is priority and what isn't and not wasting time on stuff that isn't actually moving you forward
0: okay so can i give you a deadline heather please do the next business community on calon fm is on thursday the 29th of march at 1pm
1: you're listening to the business community on calon fm and don't forget today's show is available on the listen again feature at the calon fm website this show will be available from tomorrow for one week you can also listen to archived versions of previous episodes in a podcasted format via our own website, www.thebusiness.community. Kellen
0: FM. Kellen FM.
1: Being interested in business, as we both are, every week we like to talk about a business guru or a well-known business person. And this week we thought we'd focus on Bill Gates. Or William
0: Henry Gates the third.
1: Oh, or William Henry Gates the third. Thank you, Tracy. Um, I was just going to say I can't imagine there's anybody on the planet who hasn't heard of him, but uh, there yes. might be a couple of people out in the back of
0: beyond somewhere. So, just in case you haven't heard of him, he's an American business magnate, magnate, mm. investor, author, philanthropist, humanitarian, and principal founder of the Microsoft Corporation. Mm. And.
1: Before we talk about him, I have a memory of Microsoft from 2002 in the days when I worked uh, on the Sunday Times Best Companies list. And Microsoft, uh, number one's on that list a couple of times. And I was lucky enough to go to their Reading campus uh, to have a look at what they do. And, you know, this is 16 years ago when Wi-Fi wasn't the way that Wi-Fi is now. Uh, Hot desking wasn't as popular as it is now. Having a snooker table and a, you know, a games machine and free fruit and all of those types of things. It seems compulsory now. Yes, it's, it's almost run of the mill. But the one thing I remember about that campus, apart from the amazing building and the, you know, the staff canteen and everything was wonderful, was the Wi-Fi to the point that we were absolutely blown away by the fact that people had laptops, that they could take outside of the building into the landscaped gardens next to the pond and use Wi Fi. And it was just, it was like mind space blowing. age. Yes, yeah. If you've watched the hun- Hunger Games, you know, and you see the, the way that the world is depicted there, it was like that. It was phenomenal. And yet now it is, never mind Apple, it is part and parcel of, of what we expect. And I I just, I always
0: remember that I was just blown away. So um, Microsoft, um, I've not always been a massive fan. You know, I've had a a Macintosh computer Mm. for a long time. So um, one of my first jobs out of university, I I worked for one of the um, big accountancy firms, and we had portable apple max when i say portable it put, <laughs> on a trolley yeah you really needed the trolley especially if you were taking the portable um and and i did use air inverted commas there which doesn't work so well on radio um portable printers with you but okay. yeah the, 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 and it sort of got me into the apple way of thinking and um and a few years ago I was really really frustrated with the time it was taking my PC at home to boot up and I in a fit of peak I just went online and bought myself an iMac (laughs) just like that yeah yeah well (laughs) (laughs) and then told your husband about it that was a serious fit of peak it really (laughs) was Uh, 45 you know that those times when it took you um the length of time to make toast and a cup of coffee for you at computers to boot up right and so for about 12, maybe 15 years, I've I've had Apple computers. And it's only within the last 12 months that I've started to use um, a a general PC again and, and use Microsoft products. And I can say that in that time that I've been with Apple... They've come a long way, Microsoft. My my laptop now boots up within a minute. I don't have time to make a cup of coffee and a couple of pieces of toast. Mm. So, um, you know, I'm I'm coming back, and and you've already heard me reviewing Microsoft to do. So yes. I'm into yeah. Microsoft Office three six five and all of this. So yeah, it's won me back.
1: It is uh, I, it is genius. And when you and when you look at his 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 life, you know, he was he was leading in thinking from a very young age you know he's he's obviously got one of those kind of brains and he's incredibly wealthy and we hear a lot about this sort of philanthropic work that he does and the fact that you know he's only leaving out of his multi-billion pound wealth he's only leaving each of his children 10 million dollars each <laughs>
0: <laughs> only 10 million but i suppose when you think about how many billions he's the second is he the second most he's the second richest person in the world behind uh the founder of uh amazon incredible so incredible. His, his net worth uh, as at the 17th of february of this year was 91.7 billion dollars Incredible. So yes, leaving his children only ten million pounds is quite a very small yeah. fraction of that. Yeah, um, I was you were saying about he um, he was um, quite innovative and he he was um, doing stuff from an early age. He was a billionaire by the time he was thirty one. Incredible. Isn't it? Um, and at, at high school, he he wrote his first computer program, and it was a version of uh, Noughts and Crosses. They, they call it Tic Tac Toe on the mm. website I looked at, but they? noughts and crosses to us Brits Um, and you could play against the computer and and interestingly enough like often is quoted these successful entrepreneurs he was a college dropout he didn't finish university he left Harvard in nine he got into Harvard and he left in 1975 to fully devote himself to Microsoft which was already doing really well did you know Windows was released in 1985 oh my goodness Oh my goodness. And it went public in nineteen eighty six and the following year he was a billionaire. By nineteen eighty seven, Bill Gates was a billionaire. So yeah, that's absolutely amazing. But do you know the thing that I, I like most Go about on. the research that I've done? His blog. Okay. Okay. So um GatesNotes.com is Bill Gates' blog and he's a he's famously an avid reader. And he doesn't read business books either. He's not one that champions business books and and reading those all the time. And his blog is um, his suggestions of books that he's read and and his best book of all time. And uh, earlier this year, he's updated his favourite book of all time. Mm -hmm. And it's a book called The Better Angels of Our Nature. He says it's the, by Steven Pinker, sorry. He says it's the best book he's read in a decade. And he, if he was to recommend just one book for anyone to pick up, it would be this one. And and in um, his blog as well, GatesNotes.com, he he sums up um, four reading rules, which I quite liked. Um, so he, these are his rules of reading. One, make notes in the margin. I, I do agree, I agree with that now, Um writing writing in the book i I do that with recipe books and all sorts of things and yet as children we were told that you shouldn't write in books absolutely yeah i do (laughs) he says it says it's sort of like you know you're concentrating you because you can read and not really take it in can't you sort of it almost skims off the surface of your brain whereas he says if you're making a note particularly nonfiction, it helps you to think harder about what you're actually reading number two finish what you start i can't agree with him there if i'm reading a book and i'm not into it i am happy to leave it how about you
1: yeah i i can do that but but I, i've learned that sometimes some of the best books that I've read are the ones that I've persevered with. Not always, sometimes you persevere and you think, well, that's part of my life, I'm never getting back. <laughs> but but sometimes it turns that you go, well, I wasn't really comfortable with this to start with, but it it, it talks to me,
0: so. But interestingly, Gates doesn't say that he will see every single book through the end. He said he avoids starting any book that he can't he won't be able to see through to the end. Uh, so he must have better foresight than me because mm. I'll start a book sometimes and go, Nah, mm. not for me. Um, number three is print or digital. And he just says, read what makes you comfortable. He, at the moment, he's more comfortable with print. He says in time, he may switch to digital. So, And number four is block out an hour for reading at the very least. Um, it You know, you can do five minutes here or there. Um, for the little um, slots, but when you're reading something, you need the attention to draw you in so mm. that you can really absorb that reading. So that, that's pretty much what I took from Bill. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, he's a, he's a billionaire. You know, he's got quite an interesting backstory, but I, I, I do really like his blog.
1: I what I liked about him uh, and he he doesn't he doesn't set himself up as a business guru at all. He is just a, just he is a very successful, very incredibly successful uh, thinker and business person and strategist. But there was one one comment that really resonated with me. As you're in a business and you're growing your business, sometimes it's really difficult to let go of things. And he says, at Microsoft, I used to memorise employees' licence plates to keep tabs on their comings and goings. So that is literally scrutinising every vehicle that came and went to, oh, that's George, and he's just going, he's just coming. He said, eventually, I had to loosen up as the company got to a reasonable size. (laughs) But it demonstrates that focus, that sheer focus, but actually
0: you've got to let go sometimes. So now seems like a good point then to come in with another quote. Um, So I'm going to start off with uh, the quote of Bill Gates that I've chosen. Don't compare yourself with anyone in this world. If you do so, you are insulting yourself. Very good. Uh, I've got two.
1: Our most unhappy customers are our greatest source of learning. That's true. You don't really want, I mean, good feedback's nice, but it's, you can't build on it. And I love this one. Success is a lousy teacher. It seduces smart people into thinking they can't lose. So that's
0: just about all we've got time for this week. As always, we've thoroughly enjoyed ourselves here in the studio. Thank you very much for listening. And we do hope you will join us again next week for the Business Community. You've
1: been listening to the business community with me, Heather Noble,
0: and me, Tracy Jones.
1: Join us next week for more news, views, and reviews from the world of business.